So um, we are we are going to begin a new conversation, um, and uh, if you have not figured this out yet, uh, it is on stewardship. And, and so, um, if the person next to you groaned, that's because they know stewardship is preacher code for give money to the church. And so, uh, we'll be talking about that not today. We'll talk about that in the next couple of weeks. Today I want to actually talk about stewardship because stewardship is a bigger idea than simply giving money to the church. So, uh, the, the next week and the week after that, it's going to be a short series too because, because I'd like you to keep coming. Um, but, uh, but, uh, so the, the next two weeks are going to be about actually giving money to the church, whether you should or shouldn't. And uh, there are actually some reasons why you might not want to give money to the church. And so we'll cover those. Uh, but today I want to talk actually about stewardship. The idea of stewardship is the idea that, that, um, everything we have comes from God and we are God's managers. So, so our money, our, uh, uh, our house, our, 401k, um, the the car in the garage, everything we've got, all the tangible property we have is from God, and we manage it for God um, as God's stewards. Uh, people don't have stewards anymore, but we've often got uh, money managers. There, you know, somebody who manages our retirement fund or something, and we get you know the statement every quarter or something, and they're trying to move us from paper to electronic and. All those things you get. So, so, um, we have stewards. And so in the ancient world, a lot of people who had, had things, um, would have a steward, you know, and if you think about it, they did their math like in Roman numerals, right? So you wouldn't want to do that if you could avoid it. If you could get somebody else to do it for you, um, that would be a lot easier. So, so, um, so stewards, the, the idea of a steward is that you're managing somebody else's stuff. So it includes the, the tangible stuff, the, the car and the money and so forth, but it also includes intangible stuff. It includes our, our experience, our education, our relationships. Um, it includes really everything that God has given us over the course of our life, that that is what we are managers of. And that is the idea of stewards, that, that God has given us this, this stuff so that we can manage it on his behalf. So the question is, how do we do that well? What does it take to be a good steward of what God has provided for us? And the answer is is exactly the same. If you've ever had that, you've ever sat down um, with a financial planner and they're saying, "What do you want to? You know, what are your what are your goals? Do you want to like save for college? Do you want to save for your retirement?" They they, they ask you, "What are you trying to do as you save your money?" Um, or maybe it's you know the the form at work and you're picking you know which one of these funds right because you're you're you want to pick the one that applies best to to your desires and so the way that you act as a good steward is not necessarily by making the most money but or giving away the most money but by doing whatever you do in alignment with what God's own goals are so that's the way you act as a good steward and um to to uh, to get to my point a little quickly in case you get tired and want to leave um, the way you do that is by being generous and so you hear that uh, regularly in here I talk um, about how God wants us to be generous people so what I want to do is I want to look at the um, passage here because it shows us how how um, it shows us something about God's values and how we can we can put those into practice as we try to manage what we have on God's behalf so um, so our lesson is in um, oops 
we're just going to do it old school. I forgot to put in the the slides with the verses on it. So, uh, so you you've got you've got the scriptures in front of you. So um, we're looking at uh, Deuteronomy chapter eight, and um, uh, we're going to pick things up at verse two. So what's going on is uh, Moses is giving the people a bunch of um, basically sermons as they prepare to enter into the promised land. So so that's where we're picking things up. And uh, in verse 2, it says, Remember, remember the long road that the Lord your God led you on during these 40 years in the desert. So, so they've been in the desert for 40 years. And he says, remember. Now, if you've been doing something every day for the last 40 years, you don't need to remember it, right? You have your nose rubbed in it day by day. But he's saying this because it's about to change, right? For 40 years, you've been doing the exact same thing. And the danger is, once you start doing something else, you may forget what you learned here in the desert doing this thing every day. So he says, remember the long road on which the Lord your God led you during these 40 years in the desert so he could humble you, testing you to find out what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So the word for testing means to disclose or to uncover. So basically to expose so that you would be able to see what God already knows, that that. Uh, you don't keep his his commandments very well, and um, and despite that, God goes on feeding you, right? That even though you know, read the story of the Exodus, right? The the people of God were not exemplars of of obedient children. They they did all kinds of things, you know, starting with making golden calves and and working down from there. So they were not obedient, and yet God continued to supply. Um, uh, manna to them during the desert. So, so he humbled them so that they would learn that I'm really not all that, but, but, but God is. You know, even though I'm not what I would like to be, even though I don't do the things I'd like to do, I have a God who supplies my needs anyway. So he humbled you by making you hungry and then feeding you the manna that neither you nor your ancestors had ever experienced so he could teach you that people don't live on bread alone. No, they live based on what the Lord says. So in older translations, you might remember, uh, it says, on, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. So the idea there is that God has taught them over the course of this 40 years of, of is there going to be manna this morning? Oh, good, there is, just like God said there would be. So over 40 years of going through that process, they have learned that God is dependable. They've learned not to worry about the manna, but to worry about the God who supplies the manna. So uh, God speaks. God God um, speaks things into existence. The manna arrives because God says so, and so um, He has been teaching them over forty years in the desert. Trust God, not the food. That the food will take care of itself if your relationship with God is right. So, so um, during those forty years, your clothes didn't wear out, your feet didn't swell up. So. Um, uh, people actually debate what that means. Um, did the clothes change size as people grew, or you know, there, there's 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 questions about that. But whatever else it means, it means God supplied for the, their needs, not just the, the the need for food, but all the other needs they had as they as they uh, walked around for forty years in the desert. So, so God has been supplying them with clothing and uh, I don't know feet that don't swell up, whatever that means. Uh, sandals, I don't know, but uh, they've they've basically been provided for in every way that they need. But they've only been provided for. They've only had what they needed. 
up to this point. And that was so that God could teach them. God has, has, it says, God has been disciplining you just as a father disciplines his children. This is like God has put you on a bike, but the bike has training wheels. And in a few minutes, you're going to cross over into the, the, the Holy Land and the training wheels are coming off. So I want you to know what you've learned during this time with the training wheels on. So God has been disciplining you. God has been teaching you what he can do, which is to supply you with what you need. And the reason for that is it's not going to be as obvious very shortly. Why is that? So uh, verse 6, keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him because the Lord your God is bringing you to a wonderful land. You've been wandering around in the desert. Um, you've gotten acquainted with the, the tiny little bits of scrub brush or whatever. You've seen plenty of sand dunes. There's a camel or two and... You're, you're well acquainted now with the, the, the less than wonderful land. And now God is bringing you to a wonderful land. A land with streams of water, springs and wells that gush up in valleys and on the hills. So, step one, right? If you read the story of the Exodus, they're always concerned about water. Sometimes God provides it miraculously. Sometimes they go for days until they can find some. But now there's just going to be water all over the place. There's water wherever they need it. It's a land of wheat and barley, vines, fig trees, and pomegranates. A land of olive oil and honey. So they're going to have all the food that they need. And um, a land where you will eat food without any shortage. They won't lack anything. And a land where the stone is as hard as iron and you will mine copper from the hills. So... Um, the the they our translation here has said the stone is as hard as uh, iron. It actually says the the stone is iron, and so we don't know exactly what that means. Maybe it means there was iron ore that they could use to make implements or whatever. You know, we don't we don't think about this stuff, right? But imagine it's a thousand BC or twelve hundred BC, and iron is a rare commodity. And God is saying there's going to be there's going to be iron there. There's going to be copper. There's going to be the things that you're very primitive. Uh, manufacturing uh, sector needs in order to make, you know, plows or whatever. So, so everything you need is going to be there. The water, the food, and the other things that, that are necessary, copper and iron and so forth. So verse 10, you will eat and you will be satisfied and you will bless the Lord your God in the wonderful land that he's given you. So that is the picture that God is painting for the people before they go into the promised land. He says, I've been disciplining you. You've been on a strict diet, but you know it's about to be the holidays and you're going to overeat. And when you do, I want you to remember where does the food come from. It doesn't come from the land you're in. It comes from the God who provides you that land. It comes from God. You do not live by the bread, but by the, the word of God that speaks it into being. So... So that is the lesson God wants them to remember. And so the other thing God wants them to do, in verse 6, he says, keep the commandments. So he said to do two things, remember and keep. Keep the commandments. Now, for us as Christians, that, that means something different than it did for them. For them, it meant um, to be a part of the system of, of law that, that is uh, all through the first four books, of five, five books of the, of the Hebrew Scriptures. And it would have included the tithe. So they would have included a tithe. Actually, there was like three different tithes uh, that they would use to fund the things of the the society, the the religious infrastructure and everything else. So it would have included all those things. But we are not under the law. We 
we believe as Christians that Jesus fulfilled the law, and in its place, Jesus gave us a new commandment, a the, the law of love, to love God and to love our neighbor. So we're not we're not required to tithe. So as we look at this, this is not an instruction to us saying you have to give. You know, and I know preachers sometimes tell you this that that you need to give ten percent to the church. That's not a requirement for us. But what is the second half of this? It says. Keep the commandments of the Lord, right? So in our case, the law of love. Keep the commandments of the Lord by walking in his ways and fearing him. Acting like God does. Doing what God wants done. So so walking in his ways. And this brings us back to the idea of stewardship. The way that we manage the portfolio God has given us is by walking in his ways. By doing the things with it that God wants done. So... To, to mirror his values. And so what do we see? We see God is a God who does not run out, right? He, he's not like, alright, I put you on this diet in the desert because there's only so much to go around. He says, no, there's a whole lot more. This is a temporary thing. This discipline, it, it's only temporary because I've got even more in store for you. God is not going to run out. God's not concerned about getting, getting a return on investment. God, gives lavishly and he's about to give even more lavishly. So so the first thing we can see is that God wants us to be um if we want to be like God, we should be generous. We should say there's more where that came from. That we don't have to worry about you know what happens when it's all gone because we have learned that we do not live by bread alone but by the God who provides the bread, the God who speaks the bread into being. So so walk in God's ways and uh, be generous. So that is why we are called to be generous people. Now, I told you that, that next week and the week after that, we're going to talk about being generous to the things that God is doing in this church, and we will. But in the meantime, what I want to, what I want to recognize is a lot of people have had that sermon where the pastor says, you have to give 10% of what you've got, that's the tithe, and it was never repealed. It's the one part of the law Jesus forgot to fulfill. So, so, um, and and so I understand. Sometimes there have been abuses in churches where people have tried to to leverage you to give to the church. And so I want to I want to reassure you of that. But I will also say this: Don't use the way churches sometimes act as an excuse to be greedy. Be a generous person. And if you don't trust the church, if you have been damaged by a church. If a church has hurt you, don't give to the church, but be a generous person. And there's all kinds of ways you can do that. You know, there's been a war going on in Ukraine for the last year and a half. There's wars all over the world. Um, you know, there's all kinds of ways you can you can give to support relief agencies internationally or right here in our community. You, you remember a couple of weeks ago we got that plaque from... Um, from Alan Budal and Lutheran Social Services because we've been trying to address food needs here in our own community. There's all kinds of ways you can give to people here or abroad. Um, big problems, small problems. You can, you can give, you know, any, any way you want. You can endow a scholarship. You can go on, you know, give, send, go and see, you know, these odd little problems that people have, but they're big problems to them. And you can give generously there. So there's no reason not to be a generous person, no matter how the way, no matter however churches have treated you in the past. So be a generous person. 
The other thing is, as you think about this, to remember, right, remember that God is not going to run out. We, we're called to walk in God's ways, but we're also called to remember that God has provided, you know, we're here today. God has provided our needs to get us this far. And if there have been, if there have been tough patches, if there's been lean times, to remember that God sometimes disciplines us. That doesn't mean God's about to run out. It simply means that God has his purposes. And hopefully we've learned that we don't live by bread alone, but by the God who provides it. So, so remember and walk in God's ways. And I just want to close with this. I want you to imagine, just imagine what it would be like if Christians leaned into this. If we really took it seriously that God wants us to walk in his ways, to be generous people. Imagine imagine conversations that went like this. You know, those Christians, I disagree them with them about sexuality. They're a bunch of haters, but they're so generous. You know, or or those Christians, they're anti-science. They believe weird things about, you know, seven days of creation and no dinosaurs. But, you know, they gave a lot of money to support this this thing that's going on in my kid's school. Imagine if Christians had that reputation, right? I- imagine if, if despite whatever people think about Christians, the one thing that they could be sure of is that Christians are generous people. That's what God invites us to do, to walk in his ways so that people would know, if they don't know anything else about God, they would know that God can be trusted to provide what they need, not sparingly, but generously. Let's be that kind of church. Let's pray. Father in heaven, help us to remember the ways that you have blessed us so that we can be like the people in this reading, that we can have enough and be satisfied and bless you for it. Help us to remember your goodness to us. But help us also, Lord, to walk in your ways, to be generous, to give without without limit, um, to trust that we do not live by the bread, but by the God who speaks it into being. Help us, Lord, to to be so generous that people see Christians in a new light. We pray all these things through Christ our Lord. Amen.